Welcome to the Recovery Edge Cast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. In today's episode, we sit down with Vic and he shares his experience, strength, and hope. His share isn't like a typical story of uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, instead, he really expresses his experience and the value he gained from working the AA program. I've known Vic for a few years myself. Uh, he's one of those voices in the rooms that newcomers can always take a nugget of wisdom to get through the next 24. At least that's my experience. So with all that being said, take it away, Vic. Hello, my name is Vic and I am a grateful alcoholic. I introduced myself as a grateful alcoholic because I woke up sober, a free man this morning. I'm gonna do this a little different. I'm gonna start with the now and go back to the beginning. Um, what it's like now. You know, today I got a really good special life that I've never dreamed I could ever have the, the, the freedom and the peace that I have today because of this program. There's a wise old man one time told me a story that I really resonated with. He said there's a man that had no shoes. And the man with no shoes was crying until he saw a man that had no feet. And the man that had no feet was crying until he saw a man that had no legs. And the man with no legs was crying until he saw a man that had no arms and no legs. You know, that really resonated with me because that reminds me of the day of my admission into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was that, that man with no arms and no legs drowning in a pool of alcohol. And I had one choice left. I was done dying. I had to find a solution. I knew there was a solution in the room of the program of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sobriety date is April 1st of 2007. But I came into the program <clears throat> in the fall of 2004 because I was tired of going to jail. Seven DUIs. My last three, I woke up in a blackout in, in jail. And, uh, you know, it, was, it, was, it finally got to the point where I had to find some help. So I got into uh, a treatment program and through classes. Uh, alcohol classes, and uh, I was looking for answers, and I never, never really did find the answers I was looking for. But when I was done with that program, that alcohol treatment program, I asked the counselor if I could continue uh, going to classes. I'd gladly pay her for it because I didn't want to drink anymore. And she said something really silly, like, "Why don't you go try AA?" I thought, AA? That's the house of the living dead. That's where you go when you're ready to die. But and you know, in reality, it was true. That was the death of my old life and the beginning of a new one. The experiences that I've had in this program are just overwhelming. Um, I was in the program for about two and a half years, and I didn't... Uh, I didn't really grasp the concept of the, of the steps, and the God thing was not going to work for me. But I went to meetings every day. I got a sponsor, never went through the steps. And I had three major relapses. And my last one was April 1st of 2007, when I come back into the program. And I attacked this program like a hungry bear. I got me a new sponsor, we started into the steps, and things started to change. 
I'd like to go through my experience with the steps. Step one is where I pretty well had it under, had a good idea what step one was about. I knew I was powerless over alcohol and my life was totally unmanageable. And I've got my own conception of some of the promises in these steps. And in chapter five and how it works, it's one of the promises, it reads, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. You know, I was probably about three, four months in the program. Somebody handed me the uh, chapter five of how it works to read to the group. And that, that first sentence just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's just like, wow, I've been sober for this long and I've, I'm making progress. I'm starting to feel better. Things are starting to work out. Had a pretty good concept of step one. And then when I got to step two, when it says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't have a conception. I had a conception of the higher power, but it wasn't the higher power I was looking for. And I didn't believe I could be restored to sanity. I thought I was a total basket case for the rest of my life. But when I got into step three, it started to have some effect. It says when we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, as we understood him, it's just like, what are you talking about? Understand him. What have I been missing all these years? It's, it's just like something's been missing. I, I didn't know how to connect with it. So that started to open up my mind to a conception of a higher power. And then the spiritual revelation, I started with step four. A lot of the answer, the questions that I had were, were being answered in step four when they started out with the resentments. I didn't know what a resentment was when I came into the program. And when I, when I learned that this, these resentments are all rooted out of fear, and one of the main questions that were answered, it was I was in fear my whole life and I didn't know what the problem was. That was what I was looking for, to be free of all that fear that I had. So God, as we understood him, I started to open up my heart to that. And, you know, listening to people in the rooms, reading the books, going through the steps, is some of it started making sense. And one of the magic things that happened with these steps, when I got to step two, I had a better understanding of step one, step three of step two, and so on, forth down the, through the 12-step program. So then when I got to step five, when I finally got all this stuff out, got it on the table, got it down in black and white, shared it with another human being, and shared it with God, and I was done with the fifth step, another spiritual revelation happened. I felt like my higher power had come down and wrapped his arms around me. I felt the warmth, the comfort, the peace, the ease, the freedom that I've never felt that no, no amount of alcohol could ever provide. And then when I got to step six is when I started to uh, get some more answers to my, my character defects. What, all my, what are my character defects? I started learning what they were and, and how to deal with them. And I found out all my character defects were rooted out of fear again. It seems like fear keeps coming up. And so when I got to step seven and asked God to remove, <clears throat> remove my shortcomings, I don't believe he ever removed them like you take an engine out of a car. He gave me the tools to keep them into perspectives. I don't have to use my character defects today to hurt another human being, hurt myself, or defy the powers of a loving God. And then again, in step eight, I already had made a, a list of persons I had harmed. 
But, but what I realized that the people that I love the most are the ones that I hurt the worst. So actually, in reality, I, I made amends before I actually came into the program to these people because I, I, I couldn't deal with the, uh, with the suffering of that, of that fear. Step 10 is when I started to uh, realize the, the tools that I had to deal with the problems that I used, that I <clears throat> experienced over the years, and to be able to maintain a, a level of serenity and peace, and I have to use these tools on a daily basis so I don't have to ever hurt another human being, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually again. Step 11 is when I sought through prayer and meditation. Every day I wake up and I thank God I'm sober today. And I follow that up with a seventh step prayer and I surrender my life and my will over to God, good and bad, and I ask him for strength and direction for the day. And then when I get to step 12, it's not about me anymore. It's what can I bring into the stream of life because I spent so many years hurting people. Now all I want to do is help people. The step two promise is on page 60. It says the principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. You know, all the promises and all these steps have come true for me at some point or another. And then the promise in step three is on page 63. It says when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all-powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves than our little plans and designs. More and more, we became inter interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter, and we were reborn. The promises of having a design for living. See, I, I spent probably the first 54 years of my life, most about 80% of that, all I wanted to do was die. I was in such deep depression, anger, fear, and loneliness. So that's what the... That's what the steps have done for me as far as to freeing me up from all those things that I suffered for all those years, because I was miserable. I mean, the last 10 or 12 years, every morning I woke up, woke up the day was, was, was done before I even got out of bed. It was just like, I don't have to go, do I have to go do this shit again one more time, you know? And it was years and years of that shit. And after a while, it just got to the point where I thought I was just totally uh, lost all sanity. Completely, I didn't. I thought I was completely hopeless. Let's talk about it. Now, this is one of the things that my sponsor Alex paid, made me pay close attention to, and it addresses the fear factor again. It's on page 68, and it's the four step promises. It says, We never apologize to anyone for depending on our Creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality is a way of weakness, paradoxically, is a way of strength. The verdict of the ages of the faith means courage. All men and women of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be at once we commence to outgrow fear. You know, when I got to step three and it says, God, as we understand him, it's just like, what have I been missing all these years? 
So there's something I've been missing. I knew there was a God. I had the Catholic upbringing. So I knew there was a God of sorts, but I didn't know how to connect. So that's what the steps did for me. It helped me get a connection with God. So that's why the promises to me are so important. And then on page 75, it talks about the fifth step promises. It says, we pocket our pride and go to it, eliminating every twist of character and every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step with holding nothing, we are delighted. We can look at the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease, something I've always wanted. The fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. That's that uh, spiritual revelation I was talking about. God wrapped his arms around me. The feeling of the drink problem has disappeared and will often come strongly. We feel we're on a broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. And that spirit of the universe is something that opened up my heart even more because what's the spirit of the universe? I wanted to find more about what's, what is this spirit thing, you know? How does it work? I still don't know really how it works, but I know it works because there's so many people in the room to bear witness to the, the progress that they've made in the program and the peace and the freedom that they have. And that's where I got a lot of my hope is from the people in the rooms. And then on page 76, what I, what I feel is the promises for the sixth step. So as we emphasize willingness as being indispensable, are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling on to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing and then, of course, the seven, seven step promises, the <clears throat> seven step prayer, which is something I use every day. Says, My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. And this is what I feel is the eight step promises. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we honestly say to ourselves that we might write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases. But we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being service and scraping. As God's people, we stand on our own feet. We don't crawl before anyone. And I consider that a promise because now I can walk humbly among the living. I don't have to have to be burdened by the anxieties and the, uh, the horrors of the past. I can walk a free man. And then everything that we all know of the nine-step promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change.
fair people and economic insecurities will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. I'm living these promises today. One of the things that really, I think, enhanced my recovery is I started a prayer program. I call it up the 7-Up program. For the first year in my sobriety, I prayed for seven minutes and sent it up to God. The nine step promises was one prayer that I used. I also used the St. Francis prayer and a couple other prayers out of the other big books, which is known as the Bible. And I, I recited that every day, even there's a lot of days I didn't want to, but I did it anyway. And that gave me an indication of what, uh, <clears throat> what this program could do for you. It gave me hope. I, I didn't have no hope when I come in here. You know, and then the 10 step promises. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish it is the proper use of the will. Step 11 promises. As we go through our day, we pause. When agitated or doubtful, we ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. We are now much less in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decision. We become much more sufficient. We do not tire so easily. For we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange our lives to suit ourselves. And then the 12-step promises. You know, I get to step 12, it's not about me anymore. It's what I can bring into the stream of life. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual growth. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dedicates of a higher power and you will presently live in the new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. You know, all these promises that are uh, so important in my, in my recovery. You know, I told you that little story about the guy without, the man without the shoes. And uh, with the power of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the grace of a loving God, God has restored me to a full-bodied human being so I come out humbly among the living today. I don't have to hide underneath anything. No shame, no guilt, no fear, no anger. The loneliness has totally gone away. Uh, when I did my four step, when I went back into my childhood, as, back, as far back as I could remember, I lived in a, a little farmhouse outside of Boulder, so I had no, uh, no exposure to, to children. The only thing I had to play with was the cows and the chickens and the cows were too big and the chickens were too fast. So I, was, <laughs> I was kind of lost. But, you know, I, I remember when I first got my huge resentment against the human race. I went to my first day in kindergarten. There was a circle of kids sitting around laughing and joking. And they looked at me and they were laughing and joking. And I thought they were laughing and joking at me. And I copped a huge resentment against the human race. And I carried that resentment my whole life until I come into this program. And then I went through the years, the loneliness and the fear and the anger were, were, were still there, but they weren't quite 
to the point they were when I got into my disease. At 16, I, I fell in love with a very beautiful woman. We got married. And, I found I found a God of my understanding when I started drinking alcohol at 16. It seemed to take away the power, some of the power, that fear and that anger and the loneliness. And, and uh, you know, the first eight or ten years of our marriage was was really a miracle. We had two wonderful children. My son will be 46 this year, and he's married into a very large, successful Texas family. My daughter, she's a three-time grade-A student all the way through school, got on the D's list, she's got a very successful career ahead of her. And they weren't, they're not affected by this disease. That's one of my main blessings from this program, is to witness that those kids didn't have to deal with this thing. But in 1989, when I found out I was getting divorced, my ex-wife, had in my divorce papers, and uh, for some reason, somehow, I think it might be the grace of a loving God that I stayed dry for two years. I don't know how. I just didn't drink. But that two-year period, all those character defects started coming out in full force. The loneliness was devastating. The fear, overwhelming. And the hopelessness. And... I uh, coming home one night from uh, from work at 12:30, and I was a, I passed a bar every night. And one night I thought I'd just stop and have a beer, and I did. And that one beer, it, it seemed to again take away some of the power of that loneliness and that fear and that anger. And then as time went on, uh, the cons consumption of alcohol increased, and and it finally got to the point where. Being a binge drinker, even in between my binges, I was a raging maniac. I had all that anger and that fear and the loneliness was still there. I couldn't get rid of it. So I would drink again to get rid of it. And as my <clears throat> relapses got closer and got longer, and then it finally ended up where I had to find some help when I come back into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've seen so many miracles happen in this program. I consider alcoholism a disease of loneliness. Because everybody I know that's died from this thing has, has died alone. One lady had 12 years of recovery and for some reason she went back out and they found her hanging in the garage. Another woman, I used to pick her up in Frederick and take her to a meeting in Longmont. She's a middle-aged, about mid-30s. Her dad found her dead on a Sunday morning, overdosing drugs and alcohol, left the four and a half year old child behind. You know, the stories keep going on and on and on, and one of the things that makes me realize the power of this disease is one day you're making friends in the program, the next day you're putting them in the ground. That hurts, that really hurts. But that's why I stay, try to stay as motivated as I can to be of service to another alcoholic because I understand the pain, the suffering, the misery, the anger, the loneliness, and the anxieties that we face. And today I learned to put the past to good account. I use my past to, uh, as experience to help another alcoholic or another human being. The anxieties of the future 
uh, create uh, resentments. Resentments cause fear, and I don't want to go there. So I just leave tomorrow alone, and I live. I focus on living in the moment today. This is where I keep my peace. I don't have no fears of the past, no fears of the future, no fears of today. I just live in the moment. And right now, I'm on a level playing field, and uh, my re my sobriety is just. I never believed this could happen to me. That's kind of basically in a nutshell my experience in the program. Uh, I had one sponsor, Alex. He's passed away about seven years ago this month, and he gave me a very solid spiritual foundation, taught me a lot of things about uh, miracles. He said, if you're a chronic alcoholic who woke up sober this morning, miracles not in the mail, you're in it. You know, I'm a spiritual being. I still have human experiences. Every once in a while, I get a little angry or a little upset. But you know, I don't have to stay there. I don't have to drink over it. I don't have to hurt other people over it. I can just be at peace and uh, just keep coming back. The miracles, the age of the miracles, is still with us. How about um, the maybe the last couple of years? that brought you into AA, what was that like and what happened? The last two years before I come into AA? Mm -hmm. What was that like? It was total misery. Total. Mm -hmm. I, was, I got to the point where I was shaking so bad I couldn't drink enough alcohol to quit shaking. Did you have consequences besides? Uh, uh, really, I didn't have any consequences as far as legality. I didn't get in any legal trouble. But it's just the fear took over. The loneliness took over. The hate took over. The hopelessness took over. I was totally consumed. I was locked in the gates of hell, literally. And I believe April 1st of 2007 when God opened up the gates of hell and let me out so I could find a design for living. Because I told God that day, I'm going to die today. Not a damn thing you can do to stop me. And he took me to a very bad place. And I started praying that day. And I've been praying ever since. Yeah, the last two years are miserable. Uh, the dying was my top priority. Every time I drank, I drank to die. I think earlier you said you had three major relapses? In the two and a half years. Three major ones? Yeah. When you think back on it, is there like, any trigger or reason, or is it just that? It just got to the point where, you know, I, I don't know why, but as... Uh, like if somebody asked you, why did you relapse that time? I, I couldn't tell you. Right? I couldn't tell you why. Yeah. I mean, I can come up with a million excuses. Sure. But in reality, I have no reason. Yeah, you know, my that. last relapse was a perfect example of that. I had 14 months of good sobriety in the program. Uh -huh. And I had a situation where the roommate went south. Instead of coming to the program, I went to the bottle. And I remember I was walking out the front door, and I, th I kept thinking to myself, I can't do this. What are you doing? Where are you going? And it's, it's just like there was another force was actually pushing me to the liquor store. Different power greater than myself, exactly. And, you know, and I got to the liquor store, and as soon as I opened the door, I felt that ease and the comfort that there's the first few drinks give you before I even put that chemical in my body. It's just yeah. like... Uh, I believe the devil was in full control of me. Mm -hmm. 
What about and I, you know, if you ask me why, uh -huh. I couldn't come up with a reason. It's just, I was controlled by a very evil, destructive force. Do you remember your first drink? Yeah. My very first drink, I was about seven or eight years old. We was having a uh, family gathering, and my grandpa poured me just a little bit of wine in a ball, small glass. And I don't know, I don't really remember any effects from it. It made me feel a little funny. But, you know, when I was with my wife and raising a family, alcohol was not that big of a problem for me. I'd have maybe a six-pack during a football game or something. That would be my limits. Mm -hmm. But after I restarted, after two years after the divorce, and I restarted drinking, and then the bar became my, my home, my primary residence, I knew there was something was not right. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't think that alcohol was my problem. Mm -hmm. And when I got into the program and start working the steps, I started to realize alcohol has never been my problem. I drank for 40 years to solve my problems and never worked. And the 40 years I drank and drove, I never got in an accident. I never hurt anybody. I believe that something else was driving that vehicle. What about any DUIs there? Mm hmm. When you were driving drunk, did you ever get caught? Oh yeah, I had seven DUIs. What was what is that like? What is that like to have seven DUIs? Well, it's like to have seven DUIs. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 really we laugh not. About it in the room, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a really freaky experience to wake up in jail and not knowing what happened. That's the worst part. Yeah. You know. When you got your first DUI, did that scare you at all? Like, did any of these DUIs ever, like, make you, like, have that feeling like, that's it, I'm done, I quit? No. Okay. No, I figured it would just, uh, you know, if the damn cops would just leave me alone, it wouldn't have been a problem. Did you ever have a moment, though, where you were like, I'm going to quit? Like, you meant it with all your might and heart. But then you couldn't. Yeah. About the last 10 years of my drinking. Uh, that's, what <laughs> that's what I was looking for. Got it. But you know, I kept drinking because I knew down deep inside that the alcohol wasn't my problem. My problem was fear. That was my whole problem. My character defects was my whole problem. That's, what, that's the answers I got when I worked the steps. Because all my character defects are rooted out of fear. Why did I drink? Because I was in fear. No, alcohol was your solution to it, right? Well, yeah. So I thought. That's right. <laughs> That's the mental obsession that takes over. Because it'll be okay this time. It'll be different this time. Yeah. Let's get another bottle. We'll find the answers in the next one. Look in the ring again with the, with the champ. Yeah. Let's get him this time. So today, when you wake up 
and you just go throughout your day now. What is that like after, how many years of sobriety do you have now? 13 years. 13 years. I didn't want to get that wrong. Um, after having 13 years, what's it like now to just wake up and go through your day and not have that obsession to drink anymore? Every day I wake up, I remember my last relapse. I remember the horror, the fear, the shame, the guilt, the loneliness. I remember like it happened yesterday. Yeah. And that's why I introduced myself as a grateful alcoholic because I'm free from all that shit. I don't wake up with that anymore. I wake up in peace. I thank God I'm sober. And I carry God with me all day long. We eat together, we go meetings together, we go to bed together, we drive together, we do everything together. We're together right now in this conversation. He is not just part of my life, he is my life. Um, I, the, the spiritual part of this program is totally infiltrated into my daily living. Because I was one of these people, I had a lot of mechanical skills, I could build skyscrapers and rebuild Deuce and Motors, but I'll be damned if I could figure out how to, how to have a decent design for living. So I use the fellowship as a higher power for the first few months because you people know how to stay sober. You knew how to have a design for living. You knew how to be happy, joyous, and free, and all these things that I wanted. Why did you keep coming to AA after 13 years of sobriety? Because I have to give it away in order to keep it. It's an obligation that I feel that I owe because of all the damage that I've done to all the people when I was drinking. I feel this is my way of paying back to society the damage that I did. Even though it's not to the person that I hurt, it's to be able to help another another person in their daily journeys and their daily struggles and share my experience, strength, and hope. Mm-hmm. I made up a list. You know, in the big book, it talks about that kid of spiritual tools laid at our feet. I was always questioning, what, it, what are those? So I sat down one day, and I came up with a list that I feel that's uh, important to me. And I titled it, What Are You Looking For in the Higher Power of Your Understanding? What am I looking for in a God? All powerful? All loving? All forgiving? All inclusive? All happy? All free? All joyous? Here's the big one. All honest. All tolerant. All grateful. All responsible. All trusting. All spiritual. All peaceful. All faithful. All friendly. This is what I'm looking for in the higher inner God in my understanding. I found that God, this God, today. You know, I, I've never experienced so much free and happy and joy. Happy? What's happy? I'm happy today. I've never been happy. I've been happy. It's been going on for a while now. You know, up for the first 12 years of my recovery, uh, it was almost kind of like the devil was still attacking me. And I think after I got my 13-year chip, it's just like God said, hey, just leave Vic alone for a while, okay? He's been through enough shit. 
I have had nothing but peace ever since I started celebrating my 13 years. In the last, what, April, May, June, July, August, June, the last four months. I've been a total freedom and peace, and it's just all something I never would dreamed of happening. If you could go back and talk to day one, Vic, what piece of advice would you give him? You mean when I came back into the program April 1st of 2007? Sure. Yeah. What would you tell Vic you could go back? Well, I'd probably tell him just what I did. Just listen to the people in the rooms. Because they gave me hope. And they started giving me faith. Two of the things that I never had. I was hopeless and faithless. Hope. You people give me a little bit of hope. And when somebody shared, my first sponsor told me, when you go to a meeting, you, you go early and you... you resonate with some of the people in the program and when you sit in the chair and you sit up straight and you put your shoulders back and when somebody's sharing you stare them straight in the eye and you listen to every word they say somebody in that room is going to carry a spiritual message for you that you can take home tonight I did that for the first year of sobriety and I tell you what with the information I got from you people it gradually started to infiltrate into my life you know, my last 13 years hasn't been no cakewalk. I've had a lot of major challenges. There's no possible way I should be sober or even be alive today. But because of the hope that I got from the fellowship, it just kept letting into the steps and the steps into the spiritual part and then, then a continuation of progress. I don't ever want to be perfect. I try to be perfect. I don't want to be perfect. I'm human. I'm okay. It's okay for me to make mistakes today because that's how I learn. You know, when I'm going through a storm, one thing, valuable thing that I learned in my journey of recovery is the fact in that storm, there's a lesson I need to learn. I need to have an awareness. What am I supposed to learn while I'm going through this storm? And then when I start into the storm and I share it in the meetings and then when I'm through the storm and I share how, how I was successful to get out of it and re start maintaining another <clears throat> back on that level playing field again. But there's a lesson in every storm that I've been through, there's a lesson that I've learned. And sometimes the best thing to do is just shut the hell up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> you guys hear that? <laughs> Well, thank you, Vic. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, do, you, uh, do you have a burning desire? Do you have a, any shout-outs you want to state? Uh, who's your home group? Sober Solutions, 5 o'clock at New Beginnings. I've been with them for 16 years. You know, I chose that because New Beginnings, I was looking for a new beginning. And I chose Sober Solutions as a home group because I was looking for the solution. Good meeting then? To me, it's the best meeting on the planet because I'm there. <laughs> Thanks, Vic, for being on the first episode of the Recovery Edgecast. And thank you to the listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Um, I'll end with this quote. I wondered about the explorers who had sailed their ships to the end of the world, how terrified they must have been when they risked falling over the edge, how amazed to discover instead places they had seen only in their dreams. Jody Picult. Until next time, take care, everyone.